Hi, my name is Marcia Chatlin. I'm a professor of history at Georgetown University, but more importantly, I'm the host of Office Hours, a podcast. This is an opportunity to get a window into my world where I talk to students about the things that are most important to them. So please join us for Office Hours for the things we don't talk about in class. So today on Office Hours, I'll be talking to Georgetown sophomore Sarah Clements about her activism in the gun violence movement. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Um, so how was your winter break? It was great. It was great. Very relaxing. Um, I went on vacation with my family, uh, which we don't do very much, and I made a promise to myself that I would completely check out for a week from social media, from email, um, and it was incredible. So feel recharged. So you checking out is actually a big thing because I know that you spend a lot of time on this campus and off this campus talking about gun violence. And so I would love for you to share a little bit about how you got involved with the gun violence um, activism. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I definitely devote a lot of my time to, it, to this issue. Um, I got involved about a little bit more than three years ago. Uh, I, I am from Newtown, Connecticut, and on December 14, 2012, um, my mom who was a second grade teacher at Sandy Hook, survived um, the shooting that happened at her elementary school. Um, and about, you know, a month afterwards, uh, I remember that, you know, my family and my town still very much sort of in shock and on autopilot pretty much trying to understand what our new normal was going to be like, things like that. And I remember seeing a Facebook event that popped up on my feed uh, that was called the March on Washington for Gun Control. And I had never really been very involved in politics or like, I was still a junior in high school, mm -hmm. <laughs> still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And for some reason, I just felt like I needed to be there. And I went to my dad and I asked if he could go with me. And we ended up going with a hundred other people from Newtown down to Washington, D.C. Uh, it was the middle of January, it was freezing, it was snowy, um, but it actually is about three years ago right now that we marched, and that was my first time that I ever did a political action, and it was also the first time that I met other survivors, other people who've been deeply impacted by gun violence, and it was the first time that I realized the scope of this issue and, and how much we needed to change how much there was to do, and that is what motivated me to get involved. It's interesting that you talk about kind of the new normal or the, you know, the after effect of this. I couldn't imagine you without politics. Um, so much of our conversations in class and outside of class have been about your deep political commitments. Before the tragedy at Sandy Hook, what were the, th what did you think about guns? What was your relationship to this thing called gun violence? I honestly think that it was a very, it was a relationship and an understanding uh, that was very reminiscent of where I came from. Newtown, you know, right, even right after the shooting happened was sort of framed as this, you know, white suburban, you know, utopia almost. <laughs> like people move there for the schools and because it's safe, which now to say that is difficult. Um, but it still remains like, you know, it, it is a very upper middle class, very white community. Um, and so I had never been impacted by gun violence. And once I started 
educating myself more and more, I felt this intense guilt because I realized that time and again, I had seen, you know, on the nightly news and local news, gun violence occurring every single day in towns right next to me. <laughs> and I never really thought about it. Mm -hmm. And coming to terms with that fact has been really important for me as an activist in this movement because we very much deal with issues of whose stories are we sharing, who's, what survivors are we amplifying and lifting up, what types of communities do we focus on as a movement? And those are very real questions. Be and, and it's very personal to me, very applicable mm -hmm. to how people in Newtown felt when all of a sudden we were thrust into dealing with this issue, uh, political and personal issue. Um, and meanwhile, people around us, activists and, and neighbors around us, had been dealing it for their entire lives. I think that's something that's so powerful about kind of your testimony around this issue and the way that we think about the problem with guns and who is a victim of gun violence. And so if you could give one piece of advice to the entire movement and to say, this is what I need you to know, what would it be? I definitely think that it would be that we need to, like I said before, that we need to pay more attention to whose voices we're lifting up um, and who we're pulling up a seat at the table for. Um, you know, I work with a lot of people who live in, um, you know, Southside Chicago, in downtown St. Louis, who, um, you know, have friends killed by gun violence every month. Um, and who time and again are sort of shoved away from a seat at the table when we're talking about these issues. Um, you know, who do we put on MSNBC or CNN when art organizations get requests for survivors to talk about this issue? Those questions um, are ones I think that we need to look more carefully at. What do you think that working in these communities has done for you as a person? I think it's shown me what um, being an ally and understanding privilege looks like in action um, because there are definitely so many lessons that I've learned uh, from, you know, so I have an example of this. Um, over winter break, I actually, in 24 hours, I was in Washington, D.C. and back with my mom because we were invited to the White House to hear President Obama's announcement of his new executive actions for gun violence prevention. Um, and it was an absolutely incredible event. And while we were sitting there and listening in the East Room, listening to, to him give this incredible speech, I started getting notifications on my phone from this group text that I have with a few other young leaders in this movement from around the country. And they were talking about, you know, this is great and all, but these things these executive actions aren't directly helping my community. They aren't directly helping the people that, you know, are being impacted by this the most. And that was sort of, it caused me to sort of like sit up and, and realize how much work we have to do. And again, like, how are we talking about this issue? Who are we inviting to the White House to, you know, listen to President Obama make these speeches? I, I don't know. It's definitely made me, put me in a place where I am constantly criticizing how I talk about issues, how I react with people that I'm working with, um, and also forces, I, I, it forces me to listen 
I think, try to listen more than I talk. That's something that I've learned. One of the things that you said to me um, once that I thought was just so, it really stuck with me, is you talked about how the first week of college is so awkward, right? Or even maybe polite conversation. So where are you from? And if you say Connecticut, people say, oh, I know Connecticut. Where, you know? And to be from a place that has such a weight behind it. And I think about that a lot when I think about people from Ferguson, Missouri. Yeah. About what does it mean when your community, the place that you grew up in, the place that you may love very much, is something else that's outside of you. And so in terms of kind of coming to college after having that experience and not being that far away from it and being immersed in this world, what is it like for you to be Sarah Clemens, the college student? Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a difficult question. Um, I think that for me, I made the distinct choice to continue working on the issue that impacted my town. Um, I, you know, could have moved on in, an, in another way, focused on something else, focused on my school more, um, things like that. I think I do have to recognize that, like, I made, again, like, I made that choice for myself that, like, people are going to think of my advocacy work of, about my politics when they're introduced to me or when they see my Facebook and things like that. Um, but I think Georgetown, for me, has, has really allowed me to be Sarah Clemens, the student activist, and mm -hmm. it's allowed me to be involved in things that don't have to do it all with my gun violence prevention work and it kind of honestly sometimes is a sigh of relief to work on something completely different that I'm still extremely passionate passionate about um, but I think for me I, I have made that decision that there are going to be pros and cons that come with identifying as somebody who cares a whole lot about this issue mm -hmm. and in terms of kind of thinking about activism on campus. When I think about the issues that, uh, you know, when I travel to campuses and students really want to talk about it, it's rarely gun violence. Mm -hmm. um, now, students may talk about having kind of personal experiences like you do where there's a real tragedy, but in terms of a kind of an issue that young people are really into, it's an interesting one, right? Um, because I think I'm more likely to hear about race relations on campus, um, climate change, you know, the election. Why do you think that this particular issue hasn't become so closely associated with college activism? I think there are two big, like, foundational reasons of, of why that happens. I completely agree with that mm -hmm. analysis as well as somebody who does focus on this issue on a college campus. Um, so I think one of the big reasons for that is um, that our movement is actually extremely new. Before Newtown, um, you know, and I, again, sometimes don't like saying <coughs> this, but it is, you know, factually true that after Newtown happened, things changed on this issue. Uh, opinions changed. A lot of people, on, you know, in their communities were just absolutely horrified on their knees saying, what can we do? How is this possible? How is it that this can't be prevented? And after that happened, um, 
you know, we saw a lot of organizations like Moms Demand Action, Every Town for Gun Safety, a lot of state groups, uh, and even a couple of college organizations pop up that never existed before. And now we're starting to see as, you know, elections happen post Newtown, that more money is going to our movement, sort of these, you know, more grassroots efforts. So some of these foundational things that you need for a political and social movement are only now starting to come together. Um, as opposed to something like climate change, where that infrastructure has been there for a while. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons. And, and right now, I think with these organizations, with this movement's infrastructure, there's not a ton of capacity, unfortunately, or interest, unfortunately, from folks at the table to um, look at college students, look at young people as a demographic to really mobilize, which I think is a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, and I've expressed that before. And now I'm working with students from a few universities to start chapter-based groups on college campuses. But I do think that infrastructural <coughs> uh, issue in our movement is one reason why. I think the other reason is that there's really sort of an otherization about gun violence, even beyond college campuses. Um, I think for a perfect example, honestly, is Newtown. Pre 1214, like I said, I you know might have seen or heard about gun violence happening around me, but you sort of I honestly think that sometimes it's a coping mechanism mm -hmm. and it's not in a you know people people do it to protect themselves. They tell themselves this isn't going to happen to me. It might be happening over there. It might have happened to these people, but it won't affect me. This is not going to happen to my family. And I think a lot of times, even today, people tell themselves that because, and tell them it happens to the other, it happens to other communities, other people, because they're afraid. Um, and until it happens to you, people try to tell themselves that. I think that otherization, trying to break down that myth of actually gun violence happens all around you in your community, whether it's domestic violence with guns, whether it's suicide with guns, it happens in so many different forms, unfortunately. Um, and you can't, we can't ignore it. So I do think that those two things, that was a long answer, sorry, but the otherization of gun violence and this infrastructural issue are the two reasons why. And so if you were to kind of advise other students on other campuses who have been impacted by this and really want to do something, what would you recommend? Yeah, um, we, so Georgetown Against Gun Violence um, is a group that I, uh, with two other friends, helped start last year. And we were quick to learn <laughs> after we started the group that it was actually one of the first gun violence prevention focused campus groups around the country. Um, and so we actually have sort of started forming a program, like a toolkit um, of what we do. Um, but I think the main, the major the two major things that I would tell student leaders um, or people who have been impacted is that um, their story matters, um, their voices matter, because again, that sort of breaks down the otherization. People on a campus might not know, might not think that people in their midst have been impacted. Um, and the second is that that educational piece is should be the focus of any efforts, at least at first. Um, because before you know, you try to motivate your peers to take political action, to go to rallies, to write letters, we have to break down a lot of the myths that have been perpetuated in our culture, in our politics about gun violence. So, um, you know, I think sharing your stories is, is something that I 
care very deeply about. Um, and so, so that, that is definitely the first step. Um, and then educational awareness. And the last question for you, Sarah. Um, <clears throat> if there's one thing you would want your professors to know about you as a student or about students like you, what do you think they would be surprised by or what would you like a professor to know about you? Um, I think I would say that um, for me, I was, my life changed after something very big happened to my family. Um, and I, out of that, I became very passionate about something that I want to work on for a really long time in my life. Um, and because of that, I struggle sometimes with balancing different parts of my life, whether it's my social life or sleep or my schoolwork. Um, and I think I would like them to know that, you know, I hope that my advocacy work and what I've learned in the field and in the world can work in conjunction with what I learn in the, in the classroom. Um, and that even though I might seem distant sometimes or you know, around the anniversary of the shooting when I'm not really there, um, that I still care about like my schoolwork and that education, I know that education and learning is the way that we start making social change in this country. So I do care a whole lot, even if it doesn't look like it always. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for visiting Office Hours. Office Hours, a podcast, is a production of Dr. Marcia Chatlin and Alex Tyson. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and only the speakers. Join us on social media, on Twitter at Office Hours Pod, and on Instagram on Office Hours Podcast.